politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and forgotten American taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for another terrific day here on Friday, October 23rd at Blaze Media. And you are forgotten no longer because you actually have representation as an independent, common sense minded conservative here on this program. Now, you tell me, do you feel you had representation last night on that debate stage? Were your views on illegal immigration, on crime, on health care, on this virus fascism, do you feel your views were, were uh, well represented and articulated? <laughs> I know it's kind of a loaded question, but look... I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, and I know people don't like to hear it, and I know everyone wants to be rah, 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 R versus blue, you know, red versus blue, and, um, you know, all oh, Republicans versus Democrats headed into an election, and I, look, I'll play the game, and I'm excited too. I also get roped in to thinking everything matters, and oh my gosh, we badly want one one result, and and, and I certainly would rather Trump win And I certainly understand the danger of the left and Antifa being emboldened. But what occurred last night further underscores the need for us to get busy no matter what happens a week from next Tuesday. And really what's been happening because we have election month, two months, whatever, of stupid early voting. But look, I mean, I happen to know a lot of inside information about Trump's debate prep. And there are good people that prep him. And I think when you get the guy in a private conversation, there might be a couple of issues where he's you know, fundamentally not conservative. But usually he gets it. And I think he gets our view. The problem is he has so many a-holes surrounding him. And when he gets cornered on an issue... He tends to have this natural tendency to be like to like throw it away. So it'll be like he'll run to the left of he'll he'll take the premise of the question as that as if that's the truth, and then he'll run with it. It's like oh, I'm more pro criminal than Joe Biden. I let out more criminals than him. Uh, I covered more pre existing conditions than Biden. I um you know Biden, if you wanted amnesty for 12 million people, why didn't you do it? Uh, in all the years you were in power, that was the big line. I'm thinking, like, is that the way to win? Now, some of it's tough because, like, the moderator, a lot of people felt this was the best moderator. In many ways, I felt it was the worst. She didn't cut in as much, but the questions were completely loaded. It literally accepted the Democrats' point of view in every position. So I was happy that she finally got to immigration, but the question was, I mean, we just had a Houston police officer killed by a criminal alien who had like tons of assault charges for years and was never removed, 100% preventable. And the entire question was, oh, what about the families of the, the, the kids separated from their parents? Which, of course, is bogus because a lot of them, they don't want to be with them. They send them in as pawns. They themselves self separated, they themselves went home. And that would have been an opportunity to show how these are a bunch of criminals who use their kids as pawns and talk about the criminal alien crisis, the sanctuary crisis, put Biden on defense. Instead, it was like, no, no, you had the cages first. You mistreated them. No, you were worse than me. You didn't do amnesty. Like, what? What in the world? So, I mean, again, it's tough because he feels... I'm not defending it. I'm just saying why he feels cornered because the entire premise of the question is that this is what the right thing on immigration is. This is what the right thing on COVID is. We have a race problem in this country that we have white supremacism, not black supremacism, of course, which we're seeing in our our legal system, and it's truly unbelievable. So what are you going to do about that? So that automatically takes a little bit more of skill to jujitsu that than a more even-handed question. But to be fair, the other way... 
part of the reason why the questions are framed from that vantage point is because Trump and other Republicans have failed for the last number of months and years to present another side. So that's the only side that percolates in the in the body politic. So that's what you hear. But it was one issue after another. The crime thing was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I knew, I mean, he's been saying this all along with, oh, you know, I did criminal justice reform and I didn't lock up as many blacks. But usually it got into the other side of the equation, too, and the lawlessness and the Antifa and the crime. And he mentioned law and order. Last night, it was, I mean, he literally, I could tell Biden was kind of confused because he didn't know what to do with it. Trump kept championing how he's reducing the prison population. And then finally, Biden kind of got the hang of what he was doing. He was like, well, I let out even more people and, you know. I'm going to, you know, abolish prisons and not a single person is going to be ever locked up for drug charges. And I was like, dude, you can never out left and outbid the left on their evil deeds. You have to expose and accentuate it. Earlier this week, I said that Trump needs to rather than, you know, interrupt and and accentuate his weakness of his kind of personality that suburban voters don't like. He needs to accentuate the radicalism of Biden. And in many ways, we had a weird outcome last night. It it was neither. Trump kept himself under wraps. So he didn't, you know, do what he did last time. But he didn't accentuate Biden's radicalism. He ran to the left of him on a lot of issues. Hopefully, there's a couple of things that will stick out. Like, you know, obviously, as many have mentioned, Biden saying he's going to abolish the entire oil industry. You know, there are a couple of good moments like that. And hopefully that will stick out. But I just don't feel that he gave a reason to vote for him. Now, look, if you agree with Robert Cahaley that you think he's downright ahead. So then, you know, he just had to make sure that he showed himself to sound presidential, which I think he did. But. You know, I mean, you really want to count on that. That he's downright ahead. It could be. It's also very likely he's at least a little behind. And you want to seal the deal. But I'm just saying for us, what it demonstrates is no matter what, we have our work cut out for ourselves. That we need to have plans in place, if he were to win, demands that Fauci gets fired, Burks gets fired, Redfield is gone. We need to push back against Jared Kushner. What last night demonstrated is that the crime thing is not just some cheap talking point that Trump will move off of once they win the election. If he wins the election, that will likely mean that he's going to get more of the black vote, and they're going to wrongly attribute it to that. And they're going to push more jailbreak at a time when we have literally everyone let out of jail. I don't understand. Like All this race stuff is a fastball up the middle of the plate. Trump could have said there were hundreds upon hundreds of blacks who were killed this year because of BLM, with the extra homicides, because of the war on cops, because of the war on incarceration, and the war on law and order. It was just nothing. Healthcare is just downright awful. Awful. It's like, Obamacare is awesome. Oh, I'm just going to run it better. Whatever happened to all the things? I mean, I, I was shocked he didn't slam him on this when Biden said, you know, no one lost their healthcare. So, number one, I mean, Trump kept saying healthcare, healthcare. So now Obamacare is healthcare. Medical insurance is healthcare. And, and the two big things about Obamacare is it destroyed everyone's plans. I spent thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars until we finally got a group plan here at Blaze Media when we did the merger. But a lot of you are left behind. If if you if you you know you're a sole proprietorship, you're a small business owner. You're stuck. That is still true to this day. And even in group plans, the data is incontrovertible. I've written about this a lot. The plans have, got the, the, the amount, it comes out of you some way, but the plans have gone up. Either you have to pay more for, of your paycheck out, the deductibles have gone up, but the premiums haven't gone down be, you know, because of that. Everyone is paying for it more. He let him get away with that. And the monopolies that it's created, the private practice that, is, that it has destroyed. And then Biden was like, oh, yeah, his plan was basically like a public option. We're going to have 
Uh, people who aren't eligible for Medicaid. What are you talking about? That was the whole point of Obamacare. It chucked tens of millions of people on Medicaid. It's like, it's the same thing with COVID. It's like they get what they want and then they complain about it. But the problem is Republicans decided to own Obamacare as their own and allowed the Democrats to get out of it. Rather than, they, they can no longer pin the blame on Obamacare because they own it now. Rather than repealing it, they decide to own it. And talk about the how they own the Medicaid expansion. They own the subsidies. They own the actually insolvent coverage mandates. They own the boxing, like, and then, and then, like, you know my entire healthcare narrative. We have an amazing free market populist narrative. How it is they, the left, that has empowered the insurance cartel to take over healthcare. I would have said, you're right, Joe Biden. Every American has a right to healthcare. Healthcare is not medical insurance. It's not Medicaid. It's not the cartel. They have a right to privately contract with a doctor and make deals of what they want to service that wants to be offered for the price they want to offer it without being interfered by an insurance cartel that's monopolized and empowered by government. Republicans have no narrative on healthcare. It drives me utterly insane. Utterly insane. And then he's like, I'm going to have Medicaid compete with, with the insurance companies. You loser! The insurance companies manage 76 to 78% of the Medicaid plans. They make a killing off of it. It's administered by them. Same thing with Medicare. It's a joke. The insurance companies love the pre-existing conditions mandates. The ones that remain in the market, which is basically in most parts of the country, like five. Every other insurance company was put out of business. So yeah, the ones that are remaining love it. Because it makes it that no new company, and this has occurred over the past decade and it will be forever, no new company could ever break into the market and create competition. So many people lost their doctors. They lost their coverage. They're spending thousands more. Whatever happened to that? It's like they gave up on it. But I'll tell you what happened. I was told that Chris Christie, at least the first time around, was the main debate prep guy for Trump. I mean, this is perfidy. It's the foxes guarding the henhouse. This is the guy who handed the 2012 election to Obama. And now he's in, and he literally stabbed Trump in the back after that debate, criticizing his Rhodes Guard in a event. Like, yeah, I got COVID because of that. I didn't wear a mask. We need to, I made, made a mistake. We need to wear a mask. Mentally ill. While the Czech Republic, which was the most touted mask wearing place in the country, has the sharpest increase of anywhere in the entire world. <clears throat> so a lot of people want to talk about, oh, maybe uh, it could have been less. Doesn't stop it. but No, because they have the sharpest increase. So they're caught red-handed. Where was that narrative on COVID-2? The first word out of his mouth is, I saved 2 million people with lockdown. You lost the argument. There was so much good stuff to say on that. It was like, Oh, Biden's copying my plan. I'm doing, you know, contact tracing and testing. All the data on the schools, he could have nailed Biden on that. How kids aren't spreading it, much less getting sick from it themselves. And I, and I could tell you, he has the bullet points and the flashcards on those issues. The right side of them. He has... He has it. But, you know, because of his personality, he gets a little bit confused, gets caught, and there's a lot of idiots in his ear. He, he winds up going backwards on these issues. This is how you lose ground in the long run. It's nights like that where I'm like, burn it down. I just want to start, you know, start from the beginning. We need a new party. If Trump would have been part of an independent party, we could have gotten a lot more out of him. Again, I know this. I know this from the way he thinks personally. 
I know this from people around him. There has been and, and is a lot of potential with him. He generally agrees with us. But because he is locked in this Republican Party, there's just a lot of muddled ground. I mean, imagine if you had Christy Noem's op-ed. Her message is last night. But it was on COVID. It was on immigration, on crime, on health care. One issue after another. Biden was not cornered on the Supreme Court. I guess fracking was probably the best thing. But man, oh man, it's so frustrating. We just can't get rid of the Chris Christie's. And he's literally out there promoting Biden's narrative, and he was Trump's debate partner. I just don't get it. On the on the good side, I think you know Amy Barrett is being nominated, and she will sit on the Supreme Court. And you know, she should. She's looking good. The left just put out an article, this jailbreak group, that Amy 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 Barrett's record on criminal justice is deeply troubling. So that's a good thing. Um, but I just I just don't know. I just don't know what to do. It's just so frustrating. But again, looking forward, all that means is that if Trump wins, we can't sit and dance in the end zone like we did last time. Trump winning would be tantamount to recovering possession of the ball. And that means now you got to make your plays. Okay, you got the ball. The left didn't officially win. Now make it that they don't unofficially win. Through Jared Kushner. We need more MAGA, not Javanka. Okay, and I'm just telling you, they are not going away. We need to push very strongly. That's when we need to say, look, Mr. President, you won against all odds now you have amazing capital. You have much see it works out. You have much more political capital if you win unexpectedly. Don't wait, don't hesitate. Immediately strike like lightning. You're no longer, you know, a president in transition. You just continue your administration. Strike against the rioters that everyone expects rioting if you were to win. Immediately Fire Fauci and Berkson immediately. Bring in Johnny Anitas. Bring in Michael Kurdloff from, from Harvard. I guess Sinatra Gupta is in England, so she probably wouldn't come, but you know, bring in those people. And um the other guy from Stanford as well, the epidemiologist there. Bring them in. Be consistent. Use the power of the purse to make demands. You will not criminalize American business owners and private schools and churches and synagogues while letting out criminals and criminal aliens. Fulfill those promises on personnel and policy. That's what we need to hear. Now, I do want to get to our special guest today and change gears a little bit. So just to introduce our next guest, I want to reiterate that there's a reason why I spent a good portion of this week focusing on the mask mandates. And as I've mentioned, this issue is of great importance, not just because of the draconian and dehumanizing nature of what it is and how abnormal it is and even the ill effects of it that we will talk about with our next guest but just the fact that because it is so abnormal and it is so it, it, it's so such a, such a sense of fear in people it helps serve as a force multiplier for the entire control agenda as long as everyone is walking around as if they're in an OR 
then, well, our policies are going to reflect that. And obviously, Fauci just said that we're going to be doing this into 2022, which if he's willing to admit that now, you can imagine what that really means is indefinitely forever. And this is a big problem. So what does it mean to sit and put a cloth and cover our lungs and nose for hours on end for many people for days and years on end. Has anyone bothered to study that? Um, We know we have a lot of information from some of the very same sources pushing mask wearing now that said, look, I mean, universal civilian mask wearing, reusing of masks, cloth masks, it's not only not going to work, which we've seen incontrovertibly just from the experience of every single country that has used it. It has, has, not, it has not stopped the spread. It has accelerated the spread, whether it's uh, causation or correlation, we don't know. But clearly, it's not working to stop it. And then when we turn around and say these very things, they look at us as if we're from Mars, and now they censor it. I have the article out from yesterday we put out about the Danish newspaper, one of the most widely circulated newspapers in the country, exposing the fact that the Danish mask study, 6,000 people, 3,000 mask wearers, 3,000 in a controlled group, very large sample. It was rejected by three publications, the Lancet, the um, New England Journal of Medicine, and the American Medical Association's publication as well called JAMA and why is it that their views are so fickle that it can't even withstand the presence of opposing views well I think it answers itself and one of those people who have been censored is Dr. Colleen Huber Um, she is an NMD naturopathic medical doctor actually an oncologist who practices in Arizona and she has a lot of experience in treating cancer patients. She was, um, one time she was actually featured as one of the best cancer doctors in the country. She's written a lot of articles and books on um, on cancer treatment. One of them is Manifesto for a Cancer Patient and Choose Your Foods Like Your Life Depends on Them. So if you or a loved one is a cancer patient, you might want to check out her work. Recently, she's been writing uh, some articles on lockdowns and mask wearing, and you could find them at primarydoctor.org forward slash public health. That's her home page. You could follow her at Colleen. Hubber NMD on Twitter, but I will note she is not on Twitter now because she was suspended because she had the gall to publish questions and analysis simply calling for a study and better research on some of these potential harmful effects, bacterial effects of wearing a mask for such a long period of time. But you're not allowed to say that. So ResearchGate, which put up her articles initially, was co-authored by several other doctors as well and researchers, uh, it was taken down. And now she's kicked off of Twitter for doing the most sinful thing you could ever do now and raise questions about the holy cloth. Dr. Harbour, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be here with you. You've touched on so many important points. I know, and there's a lot to unpack in such a small period of time, so I really want to get right into it. You have a two-part series that people, again, could find at primarydoctor.org, um, and they could find your articles because, unfortunately, they were taken down at ResearchGate. But again, this is not a study. It's a, it's an analysis with people who have medical and scientific experience um, raising the questions like, hey, we know the science of biology and physics works a certain way. We know lungs and noses are very important to filtration. We know when you put dirty little cloths on your mouth and reuse them, it's going to be a problem. Hey, shouldn't we kind of study this before we say, like Fauci did, we're going to be wearing masks for years on end? So I want to start with um, the one of the harmful potential harmful aspects you bring up in your part one, the microfibers, the loose fibers. So I know my dad... I was with him one day, and uh, we were we were going to a certain place. He was wearing a mask. And, you know, they make you wear masks here. And he started coughing, and I was joking around with him. Hey, you got the virus? And he was like, no, it's those stupid fibers got in my mouth, and I was just coughing. 
And I never really thought so much about that aspect, but you're right that worn masks, meaning that they're worn out, they're reused, can either lose these particles to lodge in the lungs of the wearer, or they would accumulate during the use to the burden of non-mask material carried on the inside of the mask. And you note, if widespread masking continues, then the potential for inhaling mask fibers and environmental and biological debris continues on a daily basis for hundreds of millions of people. Could you elaborate on this point that many others haven't touched on? Yes, uh, I would like to first uh, talk about how it's been studied, and we cite this in that paper, that uh, people who are wearing masks are more desperate for oxygen. They are more, their lungs, their entire bodies are more desperate for air, so their inspiratory flow, in other words, the uh, velocity of the air coming in is stronger, and the force of it is is stronger in mask wearers than non-mask wearers. So what this does is, if there are any loose uh, particulate, any loose fibers, uh, loose dirt, uh, you know, that's going to get inhaled. So what we did was we studied brand new masks out of their packaging. We unpackaged them, and then we looked at them at 40 times magnification. To, to the eye, as you unpackage the mask, it looks like uh, freshly fallen snow. Okay, but under 40 times magnification, we found dirt in most visual fields. We found loose particles, but we also especially found loose dangling fibers in every visual field that we saw. So, you know, I would say to the mask wearer, if you are 100% certain that every single bit of those pieces of dirt, every single last fiber is completely intact and could not possibly enter your lungs, well then, uh, you may be able to rest assured. However, I think that it's safe to say that these uh, particles are are loose and can come off. Um, what's been found actually, the worst disease that I've ever seen as a physician is pulmonary fibrosis. This is a disease that conventional medicine has no cure for. No surgery, no pharmaceutical can touch it. But unfortunately, nothing in natural medicine can touch it either. It's a, it's a mechanical change of the lungs. It's a, it's a weave or a fiber that covers our air exchange in our lungs so that it's a slow suffocation. In five years, only 20% survive. It's a very horrible disease. What triggers this disease? Can you just describe it a little bit more? What triggers it and how often you see it? Yes. Uh, so it's often seen occupationally. Um, people who are working around uh, fibers, loose um, loose particulate in the air, you know, when that's uh, a concern for which uh, many workers have worn masks, you know. Um, so, for example, if somebody is working around drywall dust for years, this is going to lodge mm. in the lungs. But but the, the particle that is of the greatest concern that seems to be the biggest risk is 20 nanometers. Now, this is so tiny. Uh, it's tinier than a coronavirus. This, uh, when it lodges in the lungs, it's very, it's almost impossible to get it out. Um, you know, we see commercials now for uh, class action lawsuits related to mesothelioma from asbestos. Well, asbestos is handled by relatively few people. If you consider all the people today wearing masks, uh, then we have to multiply the damage. Wow. So, yeah, so I, I think it is of great concern uh, that, you know, there's all these loose particulate. That, that is something I haven't thought of. You know, in Home Depot, they would often sell masks for people working on drywall and things like that. And, and to me, the understanding always was that, obviously, that's an acute setting. It's, it's an acute problem. It's, it's a very evident threat um, from the particles that you're working with. So you put on a mask for an hour um, to serve as somewhat of a barrier because it's better, you know, the mask than, than, the, than, than those particles. But if you're aim, aimlessly and endlessly wearing a mask for days and weeks and now years on end, um, we're not considering, well, the mask itself, you are cupping your nose and your mouth with a foreign object and fibers. So you're saying the fact, and I've experienced this myself because look, like everyone else, I irresponsibly reuse them because I only wear it because I'm forced to, not that I want to, so I don't wear them properly often. I'll have one sitting in my car and the surgical, you know, their surgical masks, they they start shedding. So you could even feel this stuff in your mouth. So you're saying for everything that you kind of feel and you kind of spit it out, it's disgusting. Okay, you're saying there's microbiological particles 20 nanometers that are, well, that's like one-fifth of a, even a coronavirus particle that that is present. Yes, exactly. And this is what cannot be seen, but is at risk for coming into the lungs. And by the way, it's not only the cup masks that you get at the hardware store, as you mentioned, 
but also the surgical mask you mentioned, but also the cloth mask and N95. Every type of mask that we looked at, we found uh, particulate, uh, soiled fibers, and loose fibers. Now, has the government warned about this in other settings, um, you know, environmental settings, uh, construction workers? Have they warned about this problem with masks? Because I know other problems they have warned about before this became political. Uh, what I'm more um familiar with is the oxygen uh, requirements on the carbon dioxide uh, level, uh, you know, standards that were established by OSHA. Actually, that is the subject of our forthcoming paper. We're going to be putting out a paper very soon in the next few weeks, hopefully, uh, regarding the uh, effects of low oxygen and high carbon dioxide that are caused by masks and those effects throughout the body. Wow. Okay. So yeah, because I figured OSHA was onto this because I remember seeing just from the efficacy standpoint which you get into a little bit, and I think my, my audience is very familiar with that, so I'm not going to spend that much time today. But it was amazing to look at all the Western states. Arizona is certainly one of them where you are, where the state departments of health to this day have up on their websites that they, the masks do not work um, for wildfires, for the smoke inhalation, and they warn people about the false sense of security, and they warn them if you have you know heart problems, don't wear them. They say it blatantly uh, because you know it wasn't political yet, so they were following the science, and now they suddenly ignore the existence of that. So I found that to be amazing. But but anyway, this is something that needs further study. Um, you know what does that mean when you have that? many hours of mask wearing and particularly the reused um the reused masks that shed more and then as you noted the cloth masks people think they're being cute and they you know make shapes and they cut them out with the scissors well you're cutting up little particles in there you know you might blow away the visible ones but what about the um the microscopic the ones, really the really yeah. small. And I, I never even thought about that. But again, I mean, when you're messing with your mouth and nose, you know, that that is a very sensitive area. And isn't it true that God made us kind of, you know, our, our nose and our mouth were supposed to be clear for, for a reason. And if you start covering that, right, could you just walk us through the realms of, of issues that you're going to have? Oh, exactly. We were touching on an extremely important issue. I mean, if we, let's say we uh, believe in either creation or evolution as the primary mechanism of how we got here. In neither case uh, did masks ever or any kind of obstruction of the respiratory uh, system ever exist on any uh, creatures. Uh, that you see, I mean, what vertebrate has it? What you know? What human society ever survived it? Now, some of the um, pro-mask propaganda has been that, oh well, you see, don't worry about that because there are mask-wearing cultures in Asia. Well, no, that is actually uh, false. There are not mask-wearing cultures in Asia. If people would actually have actually visited Asia, as I have multiple times, you do not see masks. And for example, in Tokyo, in drugstores. You won't see masks sold except for in the spring. Why? Because maybe 20%, 30% of the population are using them against pollen. Or, or, or people people that have colds. What, I, what I've heard, my father goes there a lot and he goes to Asian countries on business. Is people have colds. They, they, they themselves are sick. So it's like kind of a cultural courtesy. They'll wear a mask, but not universal mask wearing. Exactly correct. Uh, yeah, this is this is really the first time of universal mask wearing since Americans experimented with it 101 years ago. So could you talk about that experiment a little bit? Could you talk about, you know, because I always say this is unprecedented. We never reacted like this. So there was one time where to a certain extent we did have a little bit of panic, and that was during the Spanish flu, and mask wearing did become in vogue in a certain way. Could you describe a little bit historically what happened and then the scientific evidence um, that we see of, of its effects or, you know, its efficacy or, or harmful effects. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, uh, the Spanish flu uh, claims many more lives, uh, vastly more lives than uh, COVID has claimed, you probably know. Um, it was greatly feared. However, it was a little bit misnamed. There were a number of factors going on. And I think uh, what we argue in our second paper is that masking likely had something to do with the deaths in the so-called Spanish flu. None other than Anthony Fauci himself uh, found this and put it in a research paper. 
A 2008 research paper on which he was a co-author, Dr. Fauci, found that the majority of deaths, well, every, every death in every cadaver that they looked at, that their research team looked at, the person that died of bacterial pneumonia. And not only that, but the bacterial pneumonia was secondary to upper respiratory tract bacteria. In other words, ordinary bacteria. But this is what he is claiming is the cause of death of all that he's looked at. Another study said of the 50 million people who died during that era, 45 million people definitely died of bacterial pneumonia. Um, so, okay, now why does uh, ordinary oral bacteria and bacterial pneumonia not just kill us all off all the time? That was the last time that Americans at least, um, and to what extent in other countries, I'm not sure, but Americans at least had experimented with widespread all day long masking. And so what we argue in our paper is because of that greater inspiratory flow I mentioned before, that, that uh, increased force of uh, the air coming into the lungs, we are drawing oral bacteria deeper into the lungs while wearing a mask because we're more desperate for air. So that bacteria would normally stay in the mouth where we can take care of it and our saliva keeps it at bay, et cetera. And, and the normal drying process of breathing and talking keeps it you know, in check. Uh, once we start breathing in that much more desperately, uh, then this uh, bacterial, the bacteria that create the bacterial pneumonia, which Dr. Fauci found, um, then, you know, that becomes life-threatening. So he found it in, his research team found it in every single paper. And that was in the Journal of Infectious Diseases. That was uh, published in 2008. And obviously back then we didn't have antibiotics. So, you know, if it was bacterial pneumonia, uh, that's why the death toll was so high. So you extrapolate that to today, a very interesting point. And you say, well, wait a minute, you know, our skin, our natural skin seems to be a pretty good barrier against the virus. So, but but to most people, you kind of feel naked, like you're exposed to it. So you have to put up a new barrier, and that barrier is a cloth or some other material, which counterintuitively serves as a much greater conduit for for bacteria. So you have a hypothesis about the death toll from COVID that ties into bacterial pneumonia as well and possibly mask wearing. Could you explain that for us? Oh, yes, yes, yes. But first, let me go back to our, our natural um, defenses. I mean, uh, what you just touched on is very interesting, I think. Uh, the immune system, you know, our primary defenses of the immune system are not uh, vaccines, as we've been propagandized so much for decades. Uh, the primary defenses of the immune system are the skin, the mucous membranes. This, these are our defenses. They seem to work for every other, uh, you know, vertebrate. Why wouldn't they work for humans? They worked for all of our ancestors until vaccination became popular. So, uh, you know, the propaganda was, oh, well, see, that's not good enough. We have to take that vaccine deeply beneath your skin and your mucous membranes because, you know, that's not good enough. Now, well, the skin makes us membranes are not good enough. And so we must add, you know, not just defeat those barriers, but we must add to those barriers by putting a mask on as well. Um, so it's kind of silly, I think. But, um, oh, yes. So you asked about, sorry, you asked about um, COVID-19. Now, we there are no uh, really long-term studies, as you know, from masking during the COVID-19 era. However, we do have a three-month study that uh, we, we talked about, and we did the study in our last paper, that same paper on microbes and masks. Anyway, um, <clears throat> what happened was the Council on Foreign Relations uh, surveyed the populations of 25 countries regarding mask use. Their question to the people of those countries was this, uh, did you always wear a mask every time you left home in the last seven days? That was in July, it was July 6th to 12th. Okay. The highest reported rate was Singapore. 93% of the people said yes. Yes, they did always wear it. And the lowest, Finland, at 1%. Okay, so the other countries, the other uh, 23 countries were in between. Well, we, we looked at those exact same countries three months later in the early part of October. So it was three months later, and they had, you know, established mask use or not mask use. Anyway, it turned out that the countries with the least mask use had the least positive uh, PCR tests. In other words, uh, the lowest number of positive PCR tests were correlated with the countries with the least mask use of these 25 countries. So this was a 25 country study first, you know, 
um, with the data from the Council of Foreign Relations, and we just simply looked at those same countries twenty, uh, sorry, three months later. And and the thing is, it's not like this is some voodoo analysis. This is what people like Surgeon General Jerome Adams and Fauci and and many others and, and all the academic literature, CDC had warned about for years that if you wear especially the cloth masks that are reused by civilians for long periods of time, that it would actually risk spreading it even more. But I want to talk about the particular aspect of what you're talking about is um, the the way masks likely create cross-contamination and cultivate bacteria. I, I read to my audience an article out of Michigan recently where they were talking about a particularly bad spread of strep in the schools there. And it was such a mystery to them where it was coming from. And I was thinking to myself, you know, when we talk about wearing masks properly and not wearing them properly, look, there's nothing worse than having young kids wear them. (laughs) I've even seen these disgusting pictures of, you know, like a preschool where they had hooks for each one to hang up their mask or something. It's just unbelievable. To me, it's inconceivable how if you have that, especially the reused ones, but all day young kids, then put it on your mouth and nose, how that's not going to contribute to spreading more bacteria. Could you just explain the science behind that? Right, exactly. You point out the uh, absurdity of of young children hanging their masks uh, next to each other. If we're terrified of a lethal virus, if it really is so uh, dangerous, then one, why are these masks hanging next to each other? Two, why do department stores allow you to try on masks before you buy them? How silly is that? Who was the last person who tried it on? (laughs) What was their PCR test uh, result, you know? Okay, then, uh, you know, it's just kind of silly. Where are the biohazard uh, waste containers uh, in the public for uh, discarded masks to be placed if if this really is a such deadly virus? Or as some have said, if it's such a deadly virus, you why do you have to uh, be tested to even know that you have it? Um, I mean, the, the uh, you know, so the guidelines are very uh, inconsistent, spotty, um, you know, kind of laughable, really. But but what's not laughable is these diseases that people are acquiring from their mouth. So <clears throat> aspergillus is a, a you know a, a fungal disease that uh, can be made worse by uh, wearing the mask, recirculating the fungi, you know, back into the lungs. The the bacterial diseases we, what we uh, found in the literature uh, would be staph, strep, um, uh, pseudomonas. Um, there are increasing reports of bacterial pneumonia in the hospitals. By the way, uh, I work with uh, and know doctors and nurses who are among the biggest uh, hospital systems, who also work in the biggest hospital systems in the Phoenix area. And they don't know of any COVID patients. They haven't seen COVID patients in the hospitals. However, they do know of increasing staph strep infections and uh, bacterial pneumonias. Those are on the rise. And I, I know my niece, um, she got impetigo on her face a staph infection there. And uh, the pediatrician told my sister that, yeah, I mean, she's seen a lot of that recently from the kids wearing masks in school all day. And that's more benign, obviously, but you're talking about potentially more serious spread of bacteria. I want to get back to what you just said about um, the bacterial pneumonia and the lessons we saw from the Spanish flu. So when this started out, I was very much of the opinion. I was like, yeah, you know, the universal just like locking down healthy is absurd, you know, masking of healthy is absurd. But I wasn't against the idea of, hey, well, if you think you have it, you wear a mask. But the more I think about it, and and I want you to walk me through the science of of exfiltration and infiltration in your lungs, how that's going to work. But I've heard one doctor raised a concern with me that you could have someone has COVID, And let's say it's asymptomatic or very mildly symptomatic, like most people get it, not going to be a problem. But if you wear a mask while having that for a long period of time, he was concerned that somehow that could possibly make it worse and make you more symptomatic. 
are, are, is is there a way? And I'm not I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Are you suggesting that that could cultivate more bacterial pneumonia, particularly if you have it and are wearing a mask? Yes, exactly. And I think that's true whether you have uh, COVID nineteen or not. Um, we did find, you know, that 25 country study that we did did find uh, three months later after after mask wearing what the results were with the COVID test. And then when it came to COVID deaths, we did not see a relationship. The masks certainly had not reduced COVID deaths three months later. And I think that's important at all uh, as well, that the masks did not reduce the COVID deaths, but they also were possibly increased, um, uh, correlated, possibly correlated with an increase in the number of positive uh, tests for COVID. So, yeah, that is a problem. Um, and the fact that, you know, even Dr. Fauci had found uh, that the majority of deaths during that time period, 1918 to 1919, uh, were from bacterial pneumonia. I think it is very likely that the bacterial pneumonia will uh, not necessarily be worse than those who have tested positively for COVID, but in the mask wearers for sure. Wow. That, that, that is something that is a very serious thing to concern, one of the most counterproductive things you can imagine. But I want to challenge you for a minute. Um, what I hear from you know people that are bought into mask wearing, and I, and I think this is really the hook that they've gotten people into it. See, it, it's, it's an extremely absurd thing philosophically, just it just socially emotionally it's it's just bizarre but the one hook that i think they got people into it is that it did exist in medical settings so to, to a lot of people it's like well well doctors and you know the guys in the hospital wear it so it's almost like well you know it certainly can't be bad because the 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 pros themselves tend to always wear it or at least in certain circumstances they wear it so you're telling me it could possibly grow bacteria fungi pneumonia well you know don't they don't seem to have a problem? So why should I? Right, exactly. Well, uh, it turns out that um, there are there are quite different um, circumstances in the surgical environment than there are uh, for the general public. For example, OSHA has long regulated that higher oxygen be in the uh, environment of the surgical operating theater, and that uh, there be greater airflow. These these are regulations that have been established by OSHA, I believe, going back to 1979. So, so that when uh, mask wearing is used there, uh, one, you don't have to worry so much about the hypoxia and hypercapnia. However, even with those OSHA requirements, surgeons have suffered from mask use. And we refer to that in uh, one of our papers. We have a, a reference to that, but surgeons have also showed the effects of hypoxia from mask use. There's another, in one of our other papers, we refer to where there were Fewer infections in unmasked surgeries than in masked yes. surgeries. That was another study. I, I was shocked by that. Yeah, I know. Oh, you saw that too. Okay, so there was yet another study in which, um, let's say, uh, let's say I wear a mask and you don't. Okay, uh, at this point, if I'm wearing the mask, I'm putting forward fewer bacteria than you are. However, at two hours of my wearing that mask, I'm putting out the same bacteria as you, but at two and a half hours. I'm putting forth more bacteria than you. Why is it more? And, and presumably more viruses as well, since viruses pass even more uh, easily than bacteria. Sure, they're smaller. Yeah, and when you think about it, the people handling our food actually have been wearing their masks all day long, and they're <laughs> handling our food, and the bacteria uh, production and output is greater in a masked person from two and a half hours on. Well, great, we've got more bacteria than we used to because uh, food handlers, uh, supermarket cashiers are being required to wear masks. So so two more things I want to get to before we wrap this up. Let's take this to the next level. We're talking about the respiratory bacterial issues, uh, the nasal bacterial issues. Um, but then there, is, there are the fomites and there's touching and spreading. So Early on, they made a big deal out of touching. The touching was a big issue. Um, what seemed to be research from the Diamond Princess ship seemed to show that they, the, the fomites stay on, on surfaces for a long period of time and different fabrics. And then suddenly, when the mask thing became a cult, they dropped. And they're like, yeah, well, it's not really touching. But the more I think about it, I wonder if... If you're telling me that touching's a problem, we know fecal oral has long been a problem with spread of pathogens 
then what I don't understand is this. Jerome Adams, the Surgeon General himself, said in an interview on Fox and Friends in March that basically based on a study, meaning he didn't just say masks don't work. He said don't wear them. He said they're, it's absurd because he said he yeah. talked about a study of, <laughs> of uh, medical school students, like kind of their first time in the uh, surgical theater and getting used to mask wearing, how on average they touched their mask 23 times. He said this. He said this on a live interview. And so I'm just thinking, especially if you're in an area where it is a hot zone and COVID is spreading, and you know you almost everyone reuses the mask. They do not wash their hands when they dispose of it. Or even when they put it down, that's for sure. They put it on their desk. I mean, you have these guys like Redfield on down at Senate hearings, taking it off and putting it on the dais there and then touching it again, (laughs) putting it in his pocket. To me, isn't this a problem of physical touching and spreading through fomites? Oh, yes. I mean, it would be. I, I, I'm I, really not sure about, uh, you know, the conflicting information that I've heard about uh, fomite duration of COVID-19. But I it does call to mind, you know, uh, Joe Biden was giving a speech recently. He uh, he pulled down his mask to cough into his hand. Then he put his hand <laughs> on the podium. <laughs> so <laughs> how silly is it getting, folks, you know? Um, and, and we've come full circle. We, we've come full circle where, you know, the initial science was don't touch, wash your hands, stay a little bit away. And now the mask has become such a cult. I see pictures. There's a picture of one governor hugging someone with a mask. Well, so you're touching them, but you have the mask on. And then... And then this whole thing that that people think they don't need to wash their hands, especially after touching that, where we know if you're using bacterial antibacterial soap, you're you're killing it. Whereas the mask, even according to their model, it would, I guess, theoretically catch it, but then it would sit on the surface. Um, now, obviously, it goes through the pores. Um, and also, I was wondering if you agree with with this assertion. Some a lot of people kind of like um, poo poo the concern about. Um, carbon dioxide and you know oxygen poisoning hypoxia and I'm like come on you know I wear it all the time I don't seem to have a problem but what my concern about that is it's a seesaw it's garbage in garbage out yeah most of the people who wear it for a long time wear these homemade made cotton stuff where the pores are up to 1400 times larger than SARS-CoV-2 virons so yeah you might not have a problem with hypoxia because it's it's a joke it's like it's like putting a a fly in a in a jail cell so yeah i mean it's not going to do anything for you but to the extent that you get a form fitted N95 that perhaps yeah maybe that will start to have some percentage of blockage but guess what? It's also going to block, you know, your your oxygen. Is that correct as well? Oh, yes, I think so. Plus, in medicine, we see something called normalizing of symptoms a lot. Uh, if a person lives with uh, something that has impaired their abilities, it's amazing how uh, the creature can adapt to any kind of impairment, including humans, of course. So, for example, uh, well, I'm uh, just coming to mind, uh, emphysema, you know, actually uh, develops a barrel-shaped chest. I mean, it actually changes uh, the shape of the chest uh, to be able to cope with the emphysema. So I think there has been some normalizing of mask use. In other words, you, you'll you be out on a hike, you know, in hills or mountains, and you'll see uh, these guys with uh, families with masks on. And they're, they're attempting to normalize this, I believe, whether consciously or unconsciously they're they're trying to get used to masks being a part of their lives and and there will be physiological changes that are sort of all. oh by the way just to address what you said a little bit ago um you know you see this argument that oh well as i don't have hypoxia i don't have hypercapnia which is excess carbon dioxide you know um however what they did was they took a snapshot you know um you, they took a little uh, 35 dollar pulse oximeter placed it on their finger and put on a mask and said, you know, within one minute, oh, see, I'm still at 98%. I'm doing fine. Well, let's look at what happens after 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, the oxygen begins to go down. After half an hour, we're getting down to levels where you really ought to have supplemental oxygen with a nasal cannula. You know, I mean, this is going to be the topic of our next paper, by the way. Exactly. And I think that's as important. None of us are arguing that you put it on and magically you're going to die from it. But but what we are doing is long term indefinitely, quote, the new normal. 
that is something that really needs to be studied before you embark on something so radical and draconian, um, again, affecting the most personal part of your body and, and sensitive part of your body, which, which leads me to the last point I want to get from you just to zoom out, not just the mass, but this entire so- social isolation and what I call the bubble baby effect that they're creating. What I want to know is just as you know, a layman, I just think in terms of common sense, to me, if you take people that aren't immunocompromised and their immune systems do work and they're, you know, if someone who's not immune compromised with rare exceptions, they should be able to handle a virus like this um, without clinical intervention, really. Uh, their their system is working. But if you treat everyone like a sick person, like someone who's immunocompromised, and you take them for now seven months, and this is going to go into a year, two years, and indefinitely, and you make them like a bubble baby, like the whole sterilization of society. I don't know. I mean, in my knowledge of immunobiology at a very layman level, I always thought that, you know, we had a natural system to gradually expose you to things that in itself help build up your immune system. What are we going to see in the years to come from billions of people suddenly treated in a way that works counterproductive to the way the natural immune system was supposed to work, what's going to happen with their ability to ward off other pathogens that we typically don't view as problems? Right. Well, I mean, if you look at how uh, the human species, you know, has compared to many other species, been very, very successful. Why do I say that? It's because we can survive all the way till nearly the Arctic all the way uh, down to uh, the southernmost points of Australia and South America. I mean, we have populated the entire Earth, and we've grown to over 7 billion. And how do we do it when, for most of that history and through most of those populations, we've allowed infants to do what infants and toddlers do? They uh, stumble along and they they crawl on the floor. They say, oh, that looks interesting. Let me put it in my mouth. And uh, now I look at, uh, for example, uh, dogs. You know, they what do they do? You take them for a walk and their first instinct is to sniff everything and then to drink out of the gutter. Then, of course, they try to lick your face. Did you know I had been reading recently that dogs and humans have co-evolved uh, for 15,000 years. I mean, I think uh, back, you know, it's just unimaginable uh, to me to go back that many years. I try to wrap my head around such a such a large amount of time that uh, dogs have been domesticated by humans. So, you know, um, if if that has been, you know, the instinct of dogs and uh, that has been their approach to humans, as they, you know, come and try to lick your face after they've been drinking out of the gutter, then, you know, humans have managed to be a very successful species and populate the entire Earth. Uh, even with that approach to the immune system. So maybe that's the time test one. But Daniel, I want to say, I believe that the most important issue here, of course, is health freedom. And you could do many, many more episodes on that, of course. But, you know, the fact that masks are being pushed as a a mandatory or forced procedure or any other uh, medical procedure as forced procedure, I've spent my entire life uh, advocating, arguing for medical freedom, health freedom, uh, the freedom to make our own choices. If we learned anything from the Holocaust, we learned you do not, you know, experiment on human beings by forcing them into medical procedures, you know. And uh, so this is, you know, the mask mandates are going against what I believe. I'm not an attorney, but I believe that they are violating federal informed consent law. I believe that they're violating the Ninth and Tenth Amendment Constitution. Well, I mean, it's personal personal liberty is defined by Blackstone, that your, your ability to walk in locomotion without being restrained and, and to say that you have to have a um, a cover over your face and nose. I mean, that is that is a very big restriction on individual liberty. I mean, you could talk about maybe mass transit, a couple of places, but you talk about universally, it's very hard to see how that doesn't violate the fundamental definition of individual liberty as understood by our founders. Um, and, and then certainly if you look at the case law that has evolved, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, but with abortion and the right to privacy and all that that they added in there, there is no way this passes muster with that. Um, it's, it's amazing what, what what they say is a right to privacy, and here is just your own personal bodily integrity 
Um, you can't maintain it. Some places now even outdoors. So that certainly, um, I, I definitely agree with that. Look, um, Dr. Hubbard, we're going to have you back again when you come out with your next paper. Um, let us know where we could follow you and find some of your work. Oh, certainly. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. It was great to talk to you about these matters today. Perfect. Have a great weekend. Take care. And there you have it, folks. That was Dr. Colleen Hubbard. Uh, you could follow her on Twitter, although she was kicked off Twitter simply for publishing information on this. It's almost like you're an ISIS member, although, whoops, I guess they don't really lock out uh, ISIS members and terrorists and Antifa people. They promote them. This is the era we live in. I mean, this is a vital question. If you would have asked people last year, forget about last year. I mean, Jerome Adams and Fauci were saying this in March. Have everyone wear masks. And even when they said that, none of them envisioned for years. And to this extent, outdoors, indoors, everywhere. I mean, this is common sense. I don't have a background in this stuff. But you can only imagine when you start putting this on your lungs. And for what? You look at Sweden. You look at Sweden. It is now clear, this is everywhere, September 2020 was the least deadly month in Swedish history. Which is what I've said all along. That the virus very slightly accelerates the death of people that were going to die within the year. It doesn't ultimately wind up killing extra people in large numbers. So what you'll have a couple months of excess deaths, you'll have months of fewer deaths, and it will equal out, and it will be very un- unremarkable, or not just unremarkable, but un- in, especially in Sweden, unnoticeable, unless you intervene and make it more deadly by doing all this stuff. Then you'll have lockdown deaths. And again, what is with masks? I mean, people forget. She made a very important point. First of all, the truth be told, we don't have evidence that masks do work in any of these settings. It's just kind of intuitive we've been doing it in hospitals. The only major study to be done in it showed actually more infections and surgeries where surgeons were wearing masks. Of course, these are bacteria. Viruses are much smaller. Never work for that. But as she noted, you look at a lot of OSHA guidance, and I'm going to look into this more. We, we talked about a little bit of the state health departments and the EPA with wildfires and smoke infiltration, smoke inhalation, that they recognized there are harmful effects. Like, yeah, you know, you got to increase the air circulation in these areas. You could have an oxygen problem. Make sure you dispose of it. Make sure you wash. I mean, it is in every government guidance up until a few months ago, in any setting where they were wearing masks, which were very isolated and temporary and confined to certain spaces, there was always a recognition, even in those areas, where there was a perceived benefit and need, whether it's construction, hazmat stuff, or surgery, that there are definitely problems that need to be addressed. There are potential problems. Now, you you extrapolate that to hundreds of millions and billions of people throughout the world wearing masks for hours indefinitely for the rest of their lives at this point. I mean, don't 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 doubt me that that is where we're headed if we don't successfully stop this. And it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to realize you're really like almost like rerouting a river you're rerouting god's immunobiological system what's going to happen when we know everyone is reusing them not just wearing it for more than two two hours but often days on end even in in the hospitals a friend of mine told me medstar here in maryland they're issued one a week I don't know if it's different for surgeons or whatever. He's a physician's assistant. But still, that's ridiculous. That is against all government protocols. They're making it seem like we're some like far-flung group, but that's what we're going to do here. We're going to give you a perspective that others aren't going to offer, guests that others won't have on. 
We don't engage in censorship here, which is why I need you guys to take our greatest deal we've ever offered here at Blaze TV. 30 bucks for an entire year of Blaze TV subscription. That's just a little bit more than five bucks a month. Go to blazetv.com forward slash CR and put in promo code Daniel. Utilize that right now. No censorship, no groupthink. Just the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Folks, have a terrific weekend. Thanks, as always, for a great week of broadcast. It's because of you and supporting our advertisers like bullandbranch.com that we really get to benefit from evacuating from these other platforms and having our own independent platform so we cannot be censored. See you guys on the other side. Have a terrific weekend.